right, good evening, everyone. Welcome to YA Worship. Glad to have you guys here tonight. Uh, what we like to do every week as we start our time of worship is uh, go to God's Word as fast as we can. And uh, so we have our scripture reading tonight uh, from Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 34 through 40, uh, which say this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we bring our hearts, our souls, and our minds to you tonight, asking that you would soften them towards you as our good and gracious Father who is good to give, uh, but also as one who is holy, who is set apart other than us. Uh, God, would you refine our hearts? Would you transform them? Would you make them more like the heart of Jesus Christ tonight? And looking at how we love you, but also how that love for you impacts the way we love others. God, would you change our hearts and our behavior to match that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ tonight? God, would you do the deep heart work that only you can do in places like these where we open up your word and let you speak to us, teach us. God, would you bless every person in this room tonight as they just lean in and listen to what you have to say to them, as well as how they articulate what they believe about you and how they sing and praise you. So God, would you bless us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be with you guys. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We are starting our series on the Sermon on the Mount back up for the next three weeks until we finish it out, uh, Lord willing, over the next three weeks. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 tonight. And I'll be honest with you, this is going to be a, a hard sermon for some of you. We're walking in to a text that has something to say about how we view others. Um, so this is a very timely message uh, that will challenge all of us, I think. Uh, it's a challenging message in and of itself because of some misconceptions we have about a few of words that are used by Jesus as he talks about how we judge others. So let's look together at Matthew chapter 7. Verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12 say this Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log 
that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Um, before I dive into the message, I just, I just want us to, to pray. Uh, we can never pray too much, um, but I want you to pray specifically that the Lord would speak to you concerning this passage and how it relates to you and how you can apply it to your life. Uh, so bow our heads real quick. I'll give you some time to just offer up that prayer in silence to the Lord, just asking that He would speak to you through His Word tonight. Father, we love you. Um, we ask that you would speak to us, that we would apply this passage uh, in real time as we hear it preached. Uh, God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled tonight's sermon, Judging with Golden Vision. Judging with Golden Vision. I want to make the case that what we just read aloud is not four different ideas being taught by Jesus, but rather it's, it's one. Uh, and there is a thread of thought throughout those 12 verses we just read. Uh, that he's not just hopping around and giving you a few lessons here or there. That there's actually something that ties them all together. Um, to make this case, I need you to see what, what's on the bookends of these passages, of this passage. Uh, you have verse 1 and you have verse 12. Uh, and I need you to see how similar they are. Verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 12 says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Do you see how they bear a striking resemblance to one another? But this isn't just a pattern that Jesus preaches, but this is actually something to kind of grab our attention and see how everything in between these two verses is related. The thread of this thought will help us to become better interpreters of Jesus' teaching on judging others. That these words were recorded by Matthew as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it's not just the words. It's the thoughts, the ideas, and how they're organized. That even that was inspired by the Holy Spirit when Matthew, the human author, wrote what he wrote. That's important for us to see if we want to be good students of the Bible and get a proper interpretation from this passage. Now, let's begin by looking at the first two verses. 
judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Before we learn what Jesus means by this, let's address what he's not saying here. In fact, there's a meme that has been going around for the last few years that I think actually shows this quite well. Uh, do we have that picture, Zach? Should be a picture. Yeah. So that's what people like to do with this passage. Judge not. And let's just leave it at that. Forget the rest. That's what we really care about. That's often what some do, and maybe even some of us in this room have done with this passage. We say, judge not and leave it at that. Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. But in our attempt to be good students of the Bible and followers of Jesus Christ, we have to ask the question, is that what Jesus is saying here? I think if we're honest with ourselves and the text, we would all have to say, no. No. What I trust you will discover in our time together tonight is our, our main point. Disciples of Jesus Christ should treat others how they would like to be treated, not judging or evaluating unfairly. And that word is very important there, unfairly. Disciples of Jesus Christ should treat others how they would like to be treated not judging or evaluating unfairly. It's very important. A problem we run into from the very get-go is what do we mean by this word judge? Now, we know what word is often associated with the word judge, don't we? Condemnation. That that's what offends people, is being condemned. But what we need to realize is that that word judge has a wide range of meaning. It could mean a number of different things. It could mean to discern. It could mean to separate. It could mean to evaluate or decide. But we rightfully so picture a judge in a courtroom, listening, perceiving, understanding both sides of the argument and then deciding what is just, and then dispensing justice. He dispenses favor, success, deliverance, safety, victory to the one who is in the right, and condemnation and guilt to the one who is in the wrong. What we need to begin grappling with in our hearts is our distorted view of justice. So begin that in your mind and in your heart tonight. Of what, How do I view justice? Because justice is not just about condemnation. Not just about condemnation for what's bad. But restoration for what is right. What is necessary. Good and bad consequences are distributed accordingly. That's justice. 
the main idea we should take away from these first two verses by themselves is not do not judge. The main idea is do not judge unfairly. That word is important. One commentator writes it this way, one should not judge others more harshly or by a different standard than one judges oneself. It's important. I'm going to say that again. One should not judge others more harshly or by a different standard than one judges oneself. And so there we enter in the understanding of, okay, what is my standard? What is my measure? By what am I comparing others and myself to? We'll talk a little bit about that. But to bring this into our world for a bit, let's ask the question, what is wrong with my family? What is wrong with my community? What is wrong with my workplace? What is wrong with my church? What is wrong with the nation? Now, we could all say there's a variety of different problems, and we would be right. But I think in relation to this text, the problem that we see is not that we judge. Rather, it's that we judge. We do not judge rightly. We do not judge fairly. Your issue and mine is twofold, and I'm going to give them to you tonight. First, we have an unfair, critical attitude towards others. We have an unfair, critical attitude towards others. We hold them to a standard that is harsher than our own or different than our own. But that's not the only one. Secondly, we have a naive lack of self-criticism. We have a naive lack of self-criticism. It's not just that we judge others more harshly and by a different standard. It's also that we don't judge ourselves enough or rightly. We have a naive lack of self-criticism. And it's comical how true that is. And that's why I think we see Jesus illustrate it in the way that he does in verses 3 through 5. By giving us a comical scenario. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's a comical scenario. Like you can imagine being there on the mount that day when the disciples and the crowds heard this, they probably laughed. It's a funny scenario. It's ridiculous how it looks. Can you imagine a huge two by four sticking out of somebody's eye and say, let me, let me get that for you. It's comical. We get precisely what Jesus means when he explains it this way. 
That's what makes that illustration so rich. It's why many of you have heard heard it and you know it already. We now know how we can remedy our issue, our twofold issue. So first, the solution. The first part of the solution is you think critically about your own heart. You think critically about your own heart. You've got to investigate it. And here's what that that looks like. The heart, I know many of you are medically trained, and so you have a hard time disassociating what the heart is in the Bible as well as what the heart actually is pumping in your, it's your person, your whole person, right? Your heart, mind, soul, what you just said, we, or what we just read is offered up to God, right? And our love for him. It's, it's how you think. It's your thoughts. It's also how you feel, your emotions, as well as what you desire. And it's your commitments, your actions, what you actually do. And if you really want to investigate your heart, and I hope you do, start writing those things down. Your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. You make them tangible in a place where you can actually see them and say, all right, that's my heart laid out before the Lord. And you don't just leave it at that. You align those things, you align your heart with the standard, with the Bible. Right? You take your heart to the Bible and you see how does it measure up. Compare your heart with what God expects of you in His revealed will as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You do that by studying God's Word and learning how it is we are supposed to live. Investigate your heart. You think critically about your own heart. Secondly, you offer gentle, constructive criticism to those you care about. You offer gentle, constructive criticism to those you care about. Not to everyone. And that's where social media gets us into trouble because we got 700 friends that we want to tell how to live their lives. And we can't nuance it. We can't give them the time that they deserve to really counsel them well. Offer gentle, constructive criticism to those you care about. The Bible uses words for this. We see them scattered throughout the Bible. Words like correct, rebuke, admonish, exhort, counsel, advise. These are good things that help others when you enter into their mess the way God entered into yours. But here's the thing. If we do not do the serious heart work on the front end, we will automatically become hypocrites, as Jesus says. Because we cannot help but judge others. And I can prove it to you. What happens when you go out on a date? You're judging the other person. You're evaluating, is this somebody that I want to spend more time with? Right? It's not about fun or gratification. There's a goal in mind. You're dating with a purpose. Is this somebody I want to spend more time with? And if I spend more time with them, is this somebody I want to pursue for the purpose of marriage? That requires evaluation. 
judging. We automatically do it. So let's do it right. And Jesus recognizes this because he commends the removal of the speck, doesn't he? That last verse in that illustration says, and then you will be able to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. That requires judging rightly. We see this in the next verse as well, though. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, let's not shy away from what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is saying here. He is judging others by classifying them as pigs and dogs. And he's done that before in the scriptures. I don't have to defend Jesus Christ. He defends himself. He is clearly separating insiders from outsiders. His teaching in this verse requires us to classify them as well. Because he says, do not give what is holy. Do not give pearls to dogs and pigs. So we need to be on the lookout. Okay, who are the dogs and who are the pigs? This further proves he is not prohibiting the act of judging others. He is teaching us to judge rightly. More than that, he is preventing an extreme in our way of thinking by saying this. Jesus is using proverbial language to teach us something about how his disciples are to interact with non-disciples. That which is deemed holy and pearls are obviously valuable items. And what is most valuable in the kingdom is the teaching of the king. What he teaches us, his citizen students. So Jesus is saying that his teachings should not be wasted on those who would not become his citizens. In other words, do not hold people to a standard that they haven't adopted. I'm going to say that again. Do not hold people to a standard that they have not adopted. People who are not born again are not going to act like those who are. Those who do not have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within them are not going to live like those who do. We cannot expect people who do not call themselves Christians to act, behave, think, feel, like Christians. Don't waste Jesus' teaching on the pigs and the dogs. One commentator says, Do not toss your teachings to outsiders, lest they scornfully reject it and you. This seems strange to us. I'll be honest with you. It seems strange to us Because if we value the standard that Jesus is giving to us as we live, as he tells us to live and experience lives of human flourishing, we're going to want that for other people as we should. 
We are right to want that for people who do not have it. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew in the great, what we call the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And he goes on to say, teaching them to observe the commands that I have given you. Okay, all right, Jesus. But here you say, don't. In its immediate context here in chapter 7, he more than likely means that the disciples should not waste their time wrangling with those Jews who refuse to believe the wisdom of the kingdom message. That's it in its original context. But when we bring it into our modern day, for us, the modern audience, what does that mean for us? Some of you have repeatedly shared the gospel with somebody you care about, and they have rebuffed every attempt as you try to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's okay. We celebrate the share, not necessarily the outcome. It's true, we do celebrate when somebody does receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and starts living for Him. We celebrate that. We join in the angels in in their celebration. And when somebody rejects the good news of Jesus Christ, we mourn. But bottom line, we, share, we, we celebrate the share that his gospel was proclaimed and it went forth. And we were obedient to that. That's good. But when that's rebuffed, maybe year after year after year, I know you cannot give up on them. And that's, that's good. Please listen, look at me. Don't give up on them. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't want you to give up on him. Instead, look at what he says next. And this is, this is where it ties together. Ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And here's a freeing verse for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it is open. It's not about how poor or good you are in sharing the gospel. Right? This invitation is for all. Everyone who would come. Everyone who would ask and seek and knock. They have an opportunity. That's freeing. It's a beautiful invitation. The king philosopher invites his audience to lean in to the Father's loving kindness. He goes on to say, Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? It's a sweet reminder that brings all of us back to God's grace. Back to God's grace. What brings a person to God is not our precious standard, and precious it is. But that's not what brings people to God. What brings people to God is their legitimate 
needs. That's what brings people to God. Is their legitimate needs. The Father cares more about that person than you or I ever could. And He is the only one who can meet their needs. That should free you up. Because now you know where to take them. Those problems you face, those feelings you feel when you have been rejected, you take them to God who meets that person's needs in ways that you never could. So just like we prayed for God to save us from our sins, we pray for God to save others. He says, ask, so we ask. He says, seek, so we seek. He says, knock, and so we knock. We pray, we pursue, we persist. I was reminded of uh, the need for this in my own life last night. I, I was, went over to a friend's house. I'd never been to their house. And so I, I stood at the, the door. I rang the doorbell. Nothing happened. Nobody came. Rang the doorbell. Still no one. Finally, I knock. And they came to the door. I saw this played out. I texted, can I come over? I asked. What's your address? I sought. Are you home? I knocked. We pray, we pursue, we persist. And we do this with the one who is good to give good gifts to his children. Maybe for you, it's not somebody in your life who's lost. That's okay. Maybe for you, it's another job because you hate the one you're at. Maybe it's a significant other. Maybe it's to get some answers to questions you have or to obtain some type of direction for your life. Ask, seek, knock, pray, pursue, persist. My wise counsel would be that you don't focus too long on yourself, though. Instead, set your gaze on others and how they can benefit from your prayers. You and I were challenged last week when we heard Chad preach. He offered up the challenge, if God answered every one of your prayers from the past week, how many people would be saved? We focus on caring and praying for others because that is what Jesus teaches us to do. And we see that most clearly in what has become, uh, come to be called the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Or as the New American Standard Bible puts it, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. It's called the golden rule. The golden rule isn't so much a rule as it is a vision for how to view your relationships with others as a Christian. When we treat it like a rule, we tend to obey it 
and try to expect something in return. That's not what it's for. We don't obey it expecting something in return. Um, We tell ourselves, I've treated that person with kindness, so now they owe me the same in return. That's not how it works. Maybe they do owe you kindness if they are a Christian. I think we do owe each other that much as brothers and sisters in Christ. But you cannot count on getting exactly what you give in your relationships to others. Christians don't believe in karma. I remember when I first learned that about 15 years ago, because I said something flippantly, like, oh, that's karma. And I was gently criticized. It says, you know, Christians don't believe in karma. We don't. The golden rule isn't a promise for how to get people to like you. It is a way to see others as more important than yourself. I call it the golden vision because it shows us the virtue of treating others with God's loving kindness. Problem is, we don't see things this way. We've stopped treating others the way we want to be treated, and instead, we've started treating others the way we have been treated. We got it backwards. And it's ugly out there because of it. We can't imagine a life where we actually treat others the way we want to be treated. And so we start just thinking with our eyes. We fall back on that for what's good and for what's bad. We either treat people the way they have treated us, or we come up with sayings like, treat others the way Chick-fil-A treats you. And that's okay. I like the way Chick-fil-A treats me. That's all right. But it's not, it's not the Bible. I think the Bible said it best. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And maybe you realize this in your own life. And you say, cross, you're right. How can I see clearly again? If you would let me, I would love to remove debris from your eyes so you can see clearly again. Can I teach you your next steps? First thing, is make the Bible your standard. Make the Bible your standard. That's what's going to help you. Be able to judge your own heart and others rightly. It's having the right standard. That's the Bible. And at the core of the Bible is God's message for salvation, the gospel. If you're not sure what that is, I would love to clear that up for you. You see, just as Jesus said in this passage, and he puts it bluntly, he says, just as you are evil, we are wicked. Our hearts are wicked and deceitful. Who can understand it? It's Jeremiah 17, 9. You see, that's, that's us automatically. When we wake up, that's what we are. We're broken individuals. But God doesn't want us to stay that way. He sent us Jesus, the one who we are learning from right now, from his word, to live the life that you and I could never live. And he lived according to every ounce of what he taught. But he didn't just live, he died. He died the death that you and I deserve because in our brokenness, in our wickedness, 
the Bible says the punishment for that is death. And that's what we deserve. Yet Jesus died the death that we deserved. He, he put himself in our place because he loves us. That if you would believe that the blood that he shed on the cross covers your sins, your disobedience, that you would be saved. That your sins would be forgiven, washed away. And that this is entirely by God's grace. It's nothing that you have to do. So please don't hear me say, when I say make the Bible your standard, I'm not saying live rightly and earn your way to a right relationship with God. You can't. You're stuck. The only thing that's going to bring you out of the pit is the grace of God. That he would draw you out. He would say, if you just believe and repent of your way of life, your sin, and make the Bible your standard. For that's how you're going to live. In His kingdom. That's the gospel. Make the Bible your standard. Second, evaluate people and situations fairly. Evaluate people and situations fairly. Third, lean into God's grace. Lean into God's grace. You're not going to get it right every time. And that's okay. Because His grace is there to help us when we fall short. And it always has been. We get picked up by the first thing that pulled us out of the pit. And that's the grace of God. Fourth, draw people with you by being kind. We do want to welcome people into this way of life, but it's not by heaping a standard upon them that they've never adopted. It's by being kind to them. So be kind. Treat others the way you want to be treated. This will give you a golden vision for judging others fairly in such a way that would benefit them from your involvement in their life. And God will be honored in the process. Let's remember our main point. Disciples of Jesus Christ should treat others how they would like to be treated, not judging or evaluating unfairly. So let's live with this truth in mind as we aim to advance the kingdom of God in our families, our communities, our workplaces, our church, and our nation. As we see the will of God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven.